I'm glad you're here. Let's set some rules this morning. Everybody is together, which is really kind of cool. And so thank you all for being here and a Merry Christmas to you. And uh, my friend Teresa just reminded me this is the last sermon of the year, so don't mess up. Uh, so uh, I have a lot of pressure on me uh, this, this morning, and I'm so glad that you came today. Um, if you have a little one and they get a little rowdy, then we have certainly um, a place outside, and that would be great. And those of us who are in the room, uh, we're going to be patient with one another because that's what we do. We're family, and that's, that's who we are together. And so let's do that today. Uh, let's talk about... The 12 Days of Christmas. We all know that song, at least we know about that song, and we all can do the last five, right? Five golden rings, four calling birds, you can do it with me. Three French hens, two turtles, and a partridge. Does anybody know six? Nobody knows six. I mean, what is six? What's six? Do you know them all? Then you should just be quiet. Uh, anybody else? <laughs> Scott is like the songmeister. He knows all the songs. Six what? I'll test you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, wait, 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 wait. What's nine? Nine ladies' Mm-hmm. Twelve? Mm-hmm. Ten? Uh, Lords of Leaping. Who's getting that? Oh, the girls. Oh, way to go. And Miss Sherry, I included you in the girls. Uh, so you're welcome. Merry Christmas to you as well. Okay. This song was written in 1780, the 12 days of Christmas. They really don't know the authorship, unlike the Hokey Pokey, uh, one of my favorites, written by a guy named Larry LaPaz. He passed away a few years ago. They had a hard time getting him in the coffin. They put his left foot in, uh, you know, you know the rest. Uh, so, it's kind of tough. Now, if the 12 days of Christmas had have continued, that's really funny. I know, it's a good one. If the 12 days of Christmas had have continued, if there was like the day after Christmas, my true love gave to me, I often wondered what the song would say, and I kind of came up with at least five of those. I think it would be uh, five hours sleep, uh, four bags of trash, uh, three uh, bins of something, uh, two Tylenol, and a place to park my old Christmas tree. I, I think that... Uh, we get to Christmas, and if you've watched any Christmas Hallmark movies, and I know some of you have, I've never actually seen any, but they're much like a country western song. Uh, they involve uh, snow engagement and happy endings. They all do, and so if you've watched a bunch of those, then Christmas might not have turned out the way uh, that a Hallmark movie turns out. And so today is the day after Christmas, and we have our Christmas trees and our decor all uh, up, but they all goes in a box within the next, for some of you, uh, months. Uh, for some of us, the next few days are going to be taking down what we decorated for. Now, I do have a picture of what Santa's doing today. There he is today. But what about the rest of us? The day after Christmas, what do we do? Because now we face uh, all of the the tasks of Christmas. In fact, if, if, if we were to ask you, what do you think of when you think of the words day after Christmas? I kind of brainstormed and I thought, okay, well, here's, there's positives. I get to enjoy the things I got. I finish off the candy. I get to watch sports. I get to eat leftovers. The negatives, I get to eat leftovers, clean up, pack the decorations away, write thank you notes, say goodbye to family begin that diet, pay those bills. There is certainly, if the ledger, if we're looking at the ledger as positives and negatives, it seems to be there are more negatives than positives. 
And so today, if you brought your Bibles, we're going to quickly, this really won't be a long sermon, but on, uh, we're going to look at the 142nd Psalm. This is about David, and uh, I like David a lot uh, in Scripture because he's just real, he's real people. Uh, he, he suffered from things, and he, had, he was depressed sometimes, and, and it's really interesting. This is, if you look at the very first of this psalm, it says, oh, wow, it went really far. A maskil, that's a, kind of a tough word, a maskil uh, of David, that just means a poem that is written to teach. Uh, a maskil of David, when he was in a cave, a prayer. Now, there's a reason he's in a cave. In fact, we're going to look at it in just a second. I was reading my Bible yesterday, and uh, the text that came up was the 34th Psalm, which is also about when David was in a cave. Evidently, he spent some time in caves. And we all have, you know, Christmas seasons, but we also have a season after Christmas, and if we're not careful, we can fall into a bit of a funk. And so let's talk about it just for a little bit today. The cave he went to was a cave called Adullam. That was a cave. It was pretty large, in fact. And David was there for a very specific reason. Let's do a little background. David was, um, was anointed king. And then he uh, slew uh, the, the, the giant. And, and then they started singing songs about him. And they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And who do you suspect doesn't like this song? <laughs> Saul. Because it makes David look better than Saul. And from what I understand, if you're the king, you kind of like to look good in front of everybody's eyes. And so all of a sudden, Saul gets extremely jealous, and David has to flee, and he goes to a town, get this, called Nob. A town called Nob. And I thought, what an odd name. And then I thought about where we live, and just a, a few uh, uh, minutes down the road, we have Cowpens and Pumpkin Town. So uh, really, we have no, uh, uh, no reason to, to question Nob, but NOB is the town he goes to, and there, this is the training center for the priests. And, and David goes to the training center for the priest, and there's the head priest there, and his name is Ahimelech, and he sort of lies to Ahimelech, and, and he's on the run, and so he gets some food, and he asks for a sword, and the sword that is given to him is the sword that he, he took from Goliath only years before. And he goes to a region called Gath. Now, <laughs> Uh, does anybody know who came from Gath? Scott, do you know that? How do you know that stuff? Gosh. Uh, did you know it? Wow. All right. Um, did you all hear that? Because I wanted, I wanted to give you a clue. It was going to be funny. And thank you all for ruining that for me. Um, it's a really tall guy, and he was a warrior, and he was defeated with a sling. Uh, so Goliath comes from Gath, and David goes... To Gath. And when we're desperate, we don't always think clearly. I, I, do you just think about that? I wonder, does, was David thinking, oh, surely they've forgotten that I killed Goliath, their mighty warrior, who was <laughs> like famous, and, and there were like restaurants named after him, I'm sure, you know, uh, uh, Goliath Inn. I mean, there's stuff. And he goes to Gath and uh, Shock, uh, he hasn't been forgotten. And so now David is sort of in trouble. Um, 
I love Scripture. I love reading it again. And I love when it makes me laugh. And when David goes to Gath, he encounters a king. Uh, his name was Achish. And I have it for you. It, it, just, it, just makes me, it just makes me laugh. David was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. It just makes me giggle. I just think he's faking craziness. Okay, so then Achish said to his servants, this is one of the best things ever. Look at this man. Uh, he's insane. Why did you bring him to me? A am I short of madmen that you bring me this fellow? Uh, isn't that a beautiful thing to say? There's enough crazy people here. Uh, uh, Chris and I say it all the time about you. Uh, do we need more? You know, it's like it's, we've, got enough, we've got enough crazy people. Do we need more crazy people? And he sent him away. Now, David, even in his despair, he is quite bright. And he fakes insanity, and he's released into the wild, and he goes to a cave called Adullam. Now, this, when I think of caves, I think of you know, like small enclosed spaces. This evidently was quite large, and there he is in this cave. Let's go on with our story. David left Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam, where his brothers and his father's household heard about it, and they went down to him there, and all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. Because everybody who is disheartened and discontent need a leader. And David was their leader. And look how many of them there are. 400. Now, I was thinking about this. That's about triple the size of this room. And now David is in charge of triple the size of the number of people in this room, and he has the responsibility as their leader of feeding them and protecting them and coming up with a strategy for what's next. He's got all this in front of him. And, and leaders often suffer alone. And here we have this, this man who's a man after God's own heart, but he is... He's running for his life. I'm sure he's scared out of his mind. And he's been commissioned to take care of 400 other people. And some of you today, you're coming out of Christmas and you're in a season of, I just don't know what to do. And so that's why I like the 142nd Psalm. Because David sort of tells us what to do. So if you have your outlines, pull them out, and I'll give you the first answer. First thing you do is pray. Look at what he says. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell him my troubles. It, it is sort of a... It's almost like, you know, he's singing, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. He's kind of he's singing a little bit of the blues. I cry aloud. When he says... I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. He, he's talking about, hey, he, he's going to the one who can solve his problems. And mercy is what you ask for. You ever play that game when you were a kid and, and you, you clasped fingers and, and then whoever got your wrist bent back, you, you, you cried mercy because you've had enough? <laughs> David is, is saying to God who can take care of anything, I've had all I can take. And then when it says, I poured out my complaints, a really interesting word in Hebrew. The Hebrew is literally 
uh, I've been cut and I can't stop bleeding. That, that's, that's his soul. My, my soul is so overwhelmed, I can't stop the flow of my complaint. And when, when, we, when we look at the word complaint, we think of maybe whining. It really isn't whining, it's just, I don't know what to do. And so David is saying to God, I just don't know what to do. Paul Bunyan wrote this classic called Pilgrim's Progress. And he one time said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. And it's really brilliant. Prayer is where we start. When, when we don't know what to do, we pray. And, and, and look at his language here. I cry aloud, I lift up my voice, I pour my complaint, I tell him my troubles. I mean, this is all, hey, I am really, really, really going to unburden my heart to you. And some of you in this room might not know you can do that with God, but you can. I mean, remember, this is a mass kill. This is a, a poem a taught, uh, designed to teach. And what, what he's saying is this is permissible. In fact, David said, not only is this permissible, this is optimal. He, he said, uh, I call to God, uh, the, Lord say, the Lord who saves me, uh, evening and morning and noon. I mean, it's like, I can always pray. And, and Peter said, cast all your anxiety on Him. And this is where we start. Because prayer changes our perspective. It reminds us that there's somebody bigger in the universe than us. And while David had the responsibility of those 400, ultimately the 400, the responsibility rested on the shoulders of God. And so he cries out to God. And changing our perspective is really important. Because it's easy to kind of get in the funk and, and to just sort of be completely overwhelmed. I heard about a an older guy, and, and he was going in for heart surgery, and he requested his son, who was a, uh, a great surgeon, a heart surgeon, and he, he asked for his son to do the surgery. That's usually not done, but uh, the son con consented. And, and so just about when he was ready to go under anesthesia, uh, the old man calls his son in, a great surgeon, and he says, Son, uh, I just want you to know uh, something. I want you to think about something. Don't be nervous, but if things go bad today... Your mother's coming to live with you. Uh, so it, it, it helps us get perspective. Sometimes you need a different perspective. And our problems might be big, but God can take care of these problems. First thing we do is pray. Then we remember that God has a plan. God has a plan. Now, in the Hallmark movie, it doesn't take a wizard to figure out the plot line. A uh, 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 couple... Uh, they meet, they have friction, then they come to love one another, and they get married. It's how it works. It's just how it works. Don't, nobody really, it's just not that tough. But in our lives, things don't follow the pattern that we see sometimes and oftentimes in stories, in books, in movies. And so we remember God has a plan. The next verse, when my spirit grows faint within me, and it does for most of us. For most of us, it does. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for my feet. It is you who know my way. The, the word when he says his spirit grows faint, it literally means uh, his spirit is smothered. 
it's smothered. He, his thoughts are muddled. He's having trouble concentrating. And honestly, for David, he could say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Think about his life. He was a boy, he's a shepherd. Some dude shows up out of the blue and anoints him king while he's a teenager. And then he defeats Goliath, and everybody's singing these songs. And it should have just been a seamless transition from being anointed king as a, a teenager to becoming the king. And yet, how he finds himself in a cave with a bunch of disgruntled dudes. It's not the way it was supposed to be. And, and so when he prays, it is you who know my way. What he is affirming is, God, this isn't the way I thought it was going to happen. This isn't the path I thought I was going to take. But it's the path I'm on. And I believe that you're there. And some of you in the room today, you're walking a path and you certainly didn't see, um, you certainly didn't anticipate where you are today. I was talking to someone earlier, and it's just been an odd, odd Christmas season for me. Being around folks who have suffered loss, and um, just, just a lot of that, and, and sickness, and, and accident, and, and all those kinds. Of, it's just been an odd season. It's probably that way every year, just not for me, and not for you. And, and so in the midst of this, we say to ourselves, okay, well, God... This isn't my plan. It's certainly not the way I would have done it. But I do appreciate the fact that you have a plan. There's a story about Albert Einstein. I have a picture of him. Oh, 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 this is good. He who began a good work in you. This is, Paul talked about that. Let's get to Einstein. I want to see that. There he is. Einstein was on a train. He was going to a speaking engagement. And he was sort of, uh, he was engrossed in his study materials. He's studying his stuff. And I've never really been on a train like this, but evidently a conductor walks up the aisle and punches your ticket. You have to have a ticket for some place. And so he got to Einstein, and Einstein was obsessed with his, his speech he was about to give, his presentation, and he couldn't find his ticket. He's looking in his you know, j jacket pocket and his pants pockets, and he's looking in his briefcase, just can't find his ticket. And the conductor said, Mr. Einstein, we know, Dr. Einstein, we know who you are. I mean, you're, you're world famous, and so I'm sure you bought a ticket. And Einstein doesn't even respond. He just kind of keeps looking for his ticket. And the conductor walks down the aisle, and he's coming back. And he, as he's coming back, he, so he's checked everybody's ticket in the cabin, in the, in the car, and he's walking back, and Einstein is still looking for his ticket. He said, Dr. Einstein, seriously, I, I don't need your ticket. I know who you are. And Einstein looked at him and he said, I know I am too, I just don't know where I'm going. And, and so sometimes you just don't know where you're going and you think you've got a ticket, and you probably do, you just don't know where it's taking you. And God is more concerned with our holiness than anything. And so if you're walking through a valley, there's a reason for it. My favorite author, Billy Shakespeare, one time said, there's a method to the madness. And God knows what He's doing. Which brings me to the third point, which is really important. You're never really alone. Look what He says. Look and see, there's no one to my right hand. This is really important. Because if you were in a court of law, your, your um, defender, the one who was going to vouch for you, would stand at your right hand. That was the hand of power. That would mean this is a witness who has authority. And so He's saying, I don't have anybody with me. 
No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. And some of us sing that song. (laughs) I have no one at my right hand, and nobody's concerned for me, and nobody's here to care for me. And then he says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge. You're my portion. And then it's really important. He says, you're my portion in the land of the living. Now, we, we all believe... Well, it's not true. Um, Many of us believe that there's an eternity waiting for us and it will all be made right in eternity. I believe it. Many of us believe it. But, But he's saying, look, it's not just in eternity. It's not just in the afterlife that things are going to be settled. He's saying, you're my portion and my refuge in the land of the living. Now, you are still my portion and my refuge. When I was a kid uh, living in Danville, Kentucky, and I lived on Maple Avenue, and my buddy Mike Wilson lived right up the street, and he had a big backyard, and we played wiffle ball in the backyard, and, and then at dusk we would play tag. And he had trees, and it was a big hill. And, and when you play tag, there's one place that's ultimately important. Do you all know what it's called? What? Base, base or home free, right? That's base. And, and you would hide, and, and they would be looking for you. That was Emma that came up with that. Good job, Emma. Uh, uh, you would hide, and they would be looking for you, and you'd try to get to base or home free. And if you did, do you all say this? Do you say Ali Ali oxen free? Do you say that? Yeah, because you're not weird like we were. Uh, yeah. Why would you say Ali Ali oxen free? What does that even mean? We don't know oxen. Anyway, we always loved saying that because it meant you're home free. Ali, Ali, oxen free. We love that. And what he's saying is, God is home base. He's the one I get to lean into. And you may feel alone. Whenever I feel alone, I'm reminded. Jesus on the cross quoted another one of David's psalms, the 22nd psalm. And Jesus on the cross, this is God's son, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you feel alone, you're not the first, you're not the only, and you won't be the last. But at Christmas, we celebrate Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's here, He's real, He has a plan for our lives. He is our refuge. Jesus said, I am with you always. It's a promise. I'm with you always. Difficulty, struggle, pain, I'm with you always. So, finally, we praise God anyway. I love how he ends. Listen to my cry, for I am desperate. I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. That literally means they have more courage than I do. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. And then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. David was completely and utterly depressed, and yet at the end he says, set me free so that I can praise you. In Scripture, we find lots of people that were depressed. Job, Jonah, 
Moses, Peter, Jeremiah wrote a book called Lamentations, <laughs> Elijah asked God to kill him, uh, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes and he says, he begins it meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. That is not a happy book when everything is meaningless. And even Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. And then he said to them, my soul is very sad and deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. The beauty of leaning into Jesus is that Jesus knows our pain. Basically, there are three kinds of days in, the, in your life. You have mountaintop days. Those are rare, but they're great. Those are, I got engaged. Those are, I went to summer camp. Those are, I had a great vacation. There are mountaintop days. Then there are everyday days. I get up, I go to work, I have a cup of coffee. I mean, it's that kind of, every, it's kind of routine days. And then there are dark days. And hopefully those are rare for you as well. But when he says, they are too strong for me, they, they are, the, these, these enemies of mine are too strong, David is asking for courage to go on. And when the day seems too much for you, when you're in the dark day, just remember, you can say, God, it, it just seems too much for me. It just seems too much. It just seems too much. I think life's funny in a lot of ways. You, let's say you, uh, you buy a new car and you've never seen that car before except when you buy it, you see them everywhere because you, you notice what you're looking for. And uh, it, it, you, you hear what you want to hear sometimes. And somebody can pay you a compliment, but if you're in a negative place and let negative space in your mind, a lot of times you hear that not as a compliment. We hear what we want to hear a lot of times. There was an 82-year-old man, his name was Morris, he went to the doctor for his annual physical. They did a bunch of tests on him. And uh, he's supposed to come back and kind of get the results later. And so uh, the next day the doctor sees Morris and he's out and he's uh, at a restaurant uh, and he's walking out of the restaurant with this beautiful woman on his arm. And the doc says, well, Morris, you're... You're doing pretty good, aren't you? And he said, Doc, I'm just following orders. Just following your orders. You said, uh, you, you said, uh, what did you say? Uh, oh, it's right here. Get a hot mama. Get a hot mama. And be cheerful. And the doc says, no, no. I said, you have a heart murmur. Be careful. Uh, not quite the same. Not quite the same. We hear what we want to hear. Habakkuk. Uh, if I had had a son. Uh, but no, uh, Habakkuk is a prophet. And he writes this, and it's just so intriguing. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there, is no, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, well, that's a pretty bad day. I mean, it really, it's like all going bad for him. Yet, I will rejoice. And I will be joyful in God my Savior. I just think, I think Habakkuk has it right. 
So on the day after Christmas, you might just be reveling. Good for you. But understand, there are some who aren't. And so we pray because that's where we start. And we remember God has a plan. And we believe that He's our refuge and He'll take care of us. And we praise. We praise anyway. Because God knows what He's doing. Let, Let me end with this illustration. This is... This is no. Uh, this is called the Willis Sky Tower. It's in Chicago. It's about 103 stories up. The, this building is one of the tallest in North America. Uh, I believe it's 108 stories, 1,400 feet tall, something like that. And on the 103rd floor, they have this little place that you can walk out on and look out at the city. You can see four states, uh, a ton of miles. Now, um, just a quick survey. How many of you would do that? And the rest of you are big sissies. Okay, great. All right, anyway. Uh, some of you would do it. In 2019, a mom took her two kids on this, and the glass broke underneath. I know, I know. It's like the hair on the back of your neck just stood up, and it's like, oh. well, they didn't fall. It just cracked. Uh <laughs> And they would have gotten a huge insurance settlement. So, you know, you got to think the positive. And so they, they backed out, and, and the, i, I got to read the quote to you. i got to read the quote. They asked uh, the officials of the Willis Towers about it, and they said, um, no one was really in any danger, they said, because the protective layer did exactly what it was supposed to do. There's a... <laughs> There's a safety net for us as well. And and so as we exit 2021 and as we enter 2022, one thing that we can hold on to is that God does in fact know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's got it all under control. The protective layer that is ours when we give our hearts to Jesus It will do exactly what it's supposed to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for our church family having the opportunity to be together. Thank you for Christmas and all the joy it brings to so many people. But now we face another year. We face uncertainty. And so we pray and we ask that you would guide us and protect us and be with us and help us to sense you near us. And just like David was in a cave and he was worried and he prayed, Lord, help us make our first move when we are scared be to you. And my last point was, hey, let's pray praise anyway. Well, Why don't we praise, Lord, help us to praise even in the good times, like today, for many of us. Lord, we love you. Help us to serve you well today, the rest of this year and next year. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.